We'll be in 2 Samuel 5 and in 1 Corinthians 11 tonight. We're following the story of David and there are things, especially in 1 Chronicles. Did I say Corinthians? 1 Chronicles. We're not going to be in 1 Corinthians. 1 Chronicles. There are things in 1 Chronicles, events and so forth, that are not found in 2 Samuel. So we will fill in the blanks by using both of these books together. David the king. He was just a young teenager when Samuel came to his father's house and asked Jesse to to line up all of the boys that God had sent him there to anoint the king of Israel. David, in the mind of his father and in the minds of his brothers as well, I guess, was so insignificant that he didn't even think that David deserved to be in the lineup. Apparently, physically, David was no match for his brothers, especially at that point in time. He was just a young teenager. He spent most of his time with the sheep. So he was separated from the family a great deal, probably days or weeks at a time. And yet God was building his character as he developed in the care of his flock, of his sheep. It was during those years as a very young boy, a young guy, that David honed skills that Yahweh would use for his glory. Not the least of which was his skill to dispatch a wild animal such as a bear or a lion when such an animal threatened his flock. So he developed courage. And let's face it, it takes courage to stand between your flock and a a hungry bear or a lion. He probably worked on his skills daily. And being alone... When you read the Psalms, it's obvious that he spent a great deal of time in singing and praising Yahweh and in prayer. The Psalms are not only songs, they're prayers. He had developed more kingly character in those young years than all of his brothers put together. You know how the story went. Finally, Samuel says, well, this can't be all of them because I know Yahweh is never wrong. Well, now there's this other one out there. Well, get him. 
They brought him in and immediately Samuel knew that this was the Lord's choice to be the king of Israel. Man's choice was Saul. Yahweh's choice was David. God had proclaimed something that would take 20 to 25 years to finally come to fruition. Think about that. Not only that, but think of what all David went through during those 20 to 25 years. So he moves from being a courageous shepherd boy that nobody knew. Nobody was there to watch him kill a bear or a lion that was threatening a lamb or, or his flock. To understand the courage and the skill that it took, the love that he had for his sheep, such that he would stand at his own peril between the predator and the prey. And he took his position seriously, his position as a shepherd. Later on, of course, he would compare Yahweh to that very position in one of his Psalms, Yahweh the shepherd. Now, that same skill, if you go and you move beyond early teen years to middle to late teen years, that same courage and skill is put on display for everybody to see there in the war between Israel and the Philistines. You know that story as well. Goliath, their champion, six cubits in a span, that, that translates to nine feet, six inches tall. His spear was like a weaver's beam. He's a big guy, strong guy, giant. Nobody, of course, Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody and Saul didn't accept the challenge and it, it shamed and humiliated David that no one, when he brought food for his brothers, that no one would take exception to the blasphemies of Goliath. And it was with that same courage and armed with those same skills that David stepped out and he said, look, I'll, I'll take care of this. Of course, you know the objections and, and all. Until David, seriously, I can just see it. I can just see it in my mind's eye because when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it doesn't matter who you are you have power over the other people who are there when you're in the spirit to do the work of the spirit. David would say to them, look, I've faced worse than this. You may not know it, but I've faced wild animals, big animals, bears, lions. I've faced them on an almost regular basis and I'm undefeated. I'm not afraid of a bear, not afraid of a lion, and I'm not afraid of this uncircumcised Philistine. So they try to put Saul's armor on. This ain't how I fight, man. I cannot wear Saul's armor. You know the rest of the story. What God had developed in the heart of that young shepherd boy out by himself with acts of courage and, and display of skill that no one really ever saw, David put on display for everybody to see. Courageous. 
to come up before Goliath and kill him with his first stone and then cut his head off. Immediately, David becomes the hero of Israel. And then his problems with Saul begin. So now, David will develop another, by, by the hand of Yahweh, will develop another set of skills. He will learn the land. He will endear himself to the people. He will take care of them in ways that Saul never would. And slowly, through a period of years, the people became more and more endeared to David. And some of those tribes were torn in their allegiance between the house of Saul and David. But the hand of Yahweh still is working in everything. So, so David, under King Saul, became a great warrior and a great leader, became the son-in-law of Saul because he'd killed Goliath. Now as in the household of Saul, is sitting in the seat where the counselors would counsel the king and he begins to understand the royal court and riding to war with the soldiers of Saul, he learned more about war and fighting as a warrior. And then he learned how to be loyal when no one else would be loyal. I mean, I mean his allegiance, his loyalty to Saul. Until finally God took care of it on the battlefield and Saul was killed. Especially his son became king in the house of Saul as David became king in Judah. But Yahweh had said, David is my anointed king. Nobody anointed Ishbosheth. It was just Abner, the commander of Saul's army, who put him up as a puppet king. And then Abner has a change of heart. Then two guys murder Ishbosheth. And now the tribes of Israel are without a king. And they're at the mercy of the Philistines and the other warring nations around them, but especially the Philistines. So this is where we come to tonight. God had said that David would be king over, now think of this, it took years, 20, 25 years since he was first anointed. David at this point is 37 years old. So it's a 37-year-old man who has all kinds of experience and has led his special army uh, into battle for years. And we're going to learn more about his men maybe next week, the, the very special skilled warriors of David. But tonight, how David 
by the will and word of God becomes king. God is not on our timetable. You know how anxious would people be? David was very patient. David, at one point, and we studied it, became captive of his own emotions and he left and went over and lived in Philistia. He lived among the Philistines for a while. But God took care of it. When they went to battle with Saul and Israel, the other commanders said, we don't want David with us. We don't trust him. So God took care of it. He controlled their minds, their behavior. And so David didn't have to make what would have been a very difficult decision. So now he goes and carries his, his army to do other things. As I said, Saul has been killed. And now the other tribes are in need of a king. There's really only one solution to this. And so here we are. David is anointed king of Israel. Now David was anointed by Samuel the prophet. But this time the elders come together and anoint him as king in a show of, of unity. All the tribes of Israel came to David to Hebron. Now that's Hebron was David's capital city at this point in time. And spoke saying, here we are, we are your bone and your flesh. We act with you. We are yours. Also in times past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led Israel out and brought them in. And Yahweh said to you, you shall shepherd my nation Israel. And you shall be a ruler over Israel. And all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron. And King David enacted a covenant for them in Hebron before Yahweh. And they anointed David as king over Israel. Thirty years old was David when he became king, that is king of Judah. And he reigned forty years and he reigned seven years, overall he reigned 40 years, but it's seven of those over Judah, seven years, six months. And then the other 33 reigned over all of Israel and Judah. So he was the king of all of Israel. Now, here's how 1 Chronicles 11 states it. And all Israel gathered to David to Hebron saying, behold, we are your bone and flesh. Also in times past, also when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And Yahweh Elecha, the, the Lord your God, Yahweh Elecha said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and you shall be a ruler over my people Israel. And all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron and David made a covenant with them uh, in Hebron before the Lord, before Yahweh. And they anointed David as king over Israel, according to the word of Yahweh, by the hand of Samuel. You may remember way back in 1 Samuel that Yahweh had said to the people, Samuel speaks my word. So the word of God, when Samuel spoke as the prophet of God, it was the word of God. When Samuel anointed 
David way back and declared that David would be the king of Israel. This was the word of God. So nothing is going to stop that. Not anything in all the world is going to stop it. Now the wonderful thing about David is he is so courageous and he understands that now he is a shepherd over his people Israel. All he has to do is transfer the courage, the heart, the wisdom, and the skills that were honed when he was out in the pastures with his sheep. All he has to do now is take that to the throne and be that same kind of leader, a shepherd to the people, Israel. So now, a watershed moment. All of Israel has agreed. David is our king. This is exactly what Yahweh said. It's a lesson for all of us when, when, when Yahweh has a purpose for our lives, and he does for all of us. We just trust Yahweh in every day and in everything. And whatever it is, it is according to the purpose and will of Yahweh. And he will, he will lead us and guide us where he intends us for us to be. And he'll make it happen. We just have to have faith. He'll make it happen. We repose, we rest in him. And this is what happened with David. David already has shown himself as a king. He's developing a strong household, which was very important in that culture and that world in those days. Very important for a king to have a strong household with, with, with lots of sons, to know that his throne would be well cared for and that those sons of the king would be raised in the court and in the manners and fashions of the court and they would be learning leadership as well. So, and then of course, David carries the covenant that the son of David will always be on the throne of, uh, of Israel. So David knows how to lead an army. He knows how to win a war. He knows how to fight a battle. He knows how to take care of his people. He knows how to be compassionate. He also knows how to be just and make hard decisions when he has to. He also appeals to Yahweh before he goes out and does something in a, in a major sort of a way so that he can be sure that he is in the will of Yahweh. He has the high priest nearby who wears the Urim and the Thummim and the will of God can be revealed through the high priest. There had been two capital cities. David's was Hebron. But now there has to be one capital city for all of Israel. So, David will build the city of David. The king and his men went to Jerusalem to the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come here unless you remove the blind and the lame, as if to say, David shall not come here. Now, here's what that means. They are so well fortified, the Jebusites in this city, they are so well fortified and they have the high ground and they have the walls that they've built over a period of time and, and all of the entrenchments. What they're saying to David is, 
You can't even beat us even if we are even if we are blind and lame because you are such a, at a disadvantage if you try to attack us in this stronghold. That's what he's saying. As if to say, David won't come here. He can't. He doesn't know. He doesn't know how. David conquered the stronghold of Zion, which is the city of David. Now, I'll go ahead and read all of this, and then we will. I want to just briefly touch on the history of this city, which is so important to us and, and the people of the Lord, which is the city of Zion. That's the mountain of the temple, where the temple be. David said on that day, whoever smites the Jebusites and reaches the tower and removes the lime and blame, that's what he, now he's going to say, okay, then to me you're nothing but lame and blind and that's not going to stop me, it doesn't matter who you are. Despised by the soul of David, therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Now this was a Hebraistic uh, phrase that talks about how ridiculous the boast of the Jebusites really was. And David dwelt in the stronghold, and he called it the city of David. David built round about from the mound and inward. David grew steadily greater, and Yahweh El the, and the, the Lord God of armies, or hosts, the Lord God of armies, Yahweh El-Hetzabot, was with him. And Hiram... The king of Tyre sent messengers to David and cedar trees, carpenters, stonemasons for the building of a wall and they built a house. Okay. There's another place. He gives, a, he gives a daughter to David. So this is an alliance that David has. This is a guy who wants to be an ally of David. And he wants to show his goodwill by, by cutting down the best of the trees in his place and the skilled carpenters. They were known for their carpenters and stonemasons. And so he sends the best of his people down and the best of his trees and the best of his stones that have been cut and he will tell them to build a wall for David and to build a house for David, the king. So it will be the palace of David. Now this takes, of course, this takes, this happens over a period of time. Now the same account in 1 Chronicles 11 David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem, that is Jebus, and there were the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. The inhabitants of Jebus said to David, you should not come here. And David captured the citadel of Zion, that is the city of David. David said, whoever smites the Jebusites first will be a chief and an officer. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, ascended first and became a chief. And David dwelt in the citadel, and therefore they called it the city of David. Now this is actually David's nephew as well, Joab, who becomes the commander of his armies. And he built the city from around and from the Milo unto the surrounding area and Joab restored the rest of the city. David waxed constantly greater and Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, was with him, that is, was with David. Now, Jerusalem is one of the oldest cities in the world. It was not always an Israelite city. Here is how Jerusalem came to be 
Jerusalem. Just going to touch on some high points here. There's, a, there's so much that could be said to fill in the blanks of history. But just to hit the high points, we'll just stick here with mostly with the scriptures and reference a cuneiform that is actually held in Berlin um, that comes from the city of the Jebusites. But anyway, Genesis chapter 14. Abram and his trained servants, 300 trained servants, you know, just a small force, defeated Ketelomer and the four kings of the cities around and about. So here's, a, here's a, a big army of four kings and their armies. Abram has this little force who were trained servants. And technically and, and in a lot of other ways, they were trained in stealth warfare. They, what they did, they did at night and so forth. They had ways to light up a bunch of lanterns and make them look like they were more than what they were. And they totally routed these four kings and their armies. And Lot was rescued from this slavery, from having been captured by these armies. And in the Valley of Shaveh, the Valley of the King, something interesting happens. Abram rejects the offer of gifts from the king of Sodom. However, he accepts fellowship with Melchizedek, Melech Shalim. Melchizedek, the king of wholeness. Now there's a, we're going we're gonna to study this Hebrew for just a second because it's, it's interesting to me. You can go to sleep if this doesn't sound interesting to you. And I'll call on you to pray when I see you bobbing off. So here we are. Melchizedek, Melchizedek translated the king of wholeness, completeness, which the, the complete attitude would be a peace. But, but this is not the form that means just strictly peace. And he is, of course, uh, Melchizedek, he is Melchizedek, king of righteousness. King of righteousness, king of the place of the completeness. Okay, now we go to these cuneiforms. Ancient writings speak of the word from the Ugaritic, which becomes in the Hebrew, Sholem, which is part of the title of Melchizedek. Sholem, Melchizedek, remember that? What is borne out in history and in the archaeological findings is that this particular city was dedicated 
to a singular deity, only one, just one deity. The Hebrew rabbis taught that Melchizedek was actually Shem, the only son of Noah who was still alive. And if you do the math, you can see that that makes sense. Now, the Bible doesn't say that. But this is a very deep and honored Israelite Hebrew tradition. He is called, this Melchizedek, he is called the priest of Elion, which is the Most High God. The priest of the Most High God. He is Melech Shalem. He is the king of the completeness. The noun form of that is Shalom, which is peace. Utter complete contentment or wholeness is seen in the Hebrew tongue in a couple of ways. One is to be in complete awe of that which is perfection, completion. And also means to stand in completeness, thus to be at peace or to be content. All right, you follow me? That's in Genesis 14. So we, we use the word shalim, completeness, wholeness, peace in another, in the noun form. Now we go to Genesis 22. What Melchizedek did was on one end of a ridge of mountains. And what Abram will do, Abraham, is on the other end of those ridge of mountains, but it is all in the same area. You go, you fast forward some years, let Isaac climbs that Mount Moriah with his father. Isaac, Yahweh has told Abram to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. In complete obedience, he carries his only son Isaac. The book of Hebrews tells us that Abram knew in his heart that Yahweh would raise him back from the dead. So he had no fear about this. And you know the story how there was divine intervention and then there was a, a ram tangled up in the, in, the, in the bushes. But leading up to that, Abraham said to Yitzhak, his son, his inquiring son, who didn't like the way this was looking, Abraham said, Yahweh will provide for himself a lamb. So that becomes Yahweh Yireh. Some people say what, Jehovah Jireh or something like that. Yahweh Yireh. Yireh actually means we'll see or God will see. 
within the definition of that word is God will see and God will do. When he sees, that is when he beholds, has recognition, complete knowledge, then God will do. God will see. Yire. Therefore, on that end of the ridge of mountains, not far from the other end where he had his encounter with Machitadek, Abraham calls the place Yire. We'll see. We'll be seen, to be seen. It's going to happen. That's what he calls it. So when you move ahead in time, now back to Melchizedek. He was the priest of El Elyon, the Most High God. That's how he's called in that part of the Bible. And the city was recognized according to history and historical etchings and cuneiforms that have been discovered. The city was dedicated to this single deity known as the complete deity, or in other words, the creator, the only God, the creator. Melchizedek was high priest to the only complete creator, self-sufficient, almighty God, the most high. Abraham uses his name in the context when he swears allegiance to Yahweh. And he uses the name Yahweh. So Yahweh is the creator God of the Shalem, which then becomes Yireh Shalem. This moves on through time and the Canaanites inhabited the land and had this city and the Jebusites took the city. Joshua, in chapter 10, as a matter of fact, the name Jerusalem is used. Just sort of tore everything down and burned it away. But he didn't hold it, just kept going and the Jebusites took it over again and they made a stronghold out of it. Now it stays that way for a long time until you get to David. Now I want you to think of the purpose and plan and sovereignty of God. I told you that in the covenant the people and the land are very important. And the importance of one cannot forsake the other. For what God has said he will do with his people, through his people, he will do at a place, in a place. And this is how everybody knows that God is God. So here's a place where according to the ancient rabbis, I don't know, but according to the ancient rabbis, Machetzedek was Shem, the only living son of Noah. And he could have been alive if you follow the time frame 
of the scriptures in Genesis. He is this high priest of the complete one creator, most high God, who is identified in the same context by Abraham as Yahweh. Where he would have offered Isaac becomes the temple mount. Where, and scholars and theologians will tell you that the only type of God the Father in the Bible is Abraham. Where the Father takes his son and where it is declared that God will himself provide for himself a lamb. God will see and make it so. That's what the language means. So most high God, the only God, the complete one true God who is the creator God is the one who gives righteousness acknowledged by Melech Shalom, the king of righteousness. I mean the king of peace. And Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. And God is moving now to make this place a memorable place for all of God's people. Here's Abraham offering Isaac, a type of God the Father, offering his son. God will provide for himself the lamb that he will provide. God sees and God will perform absolutely and completely as the complete God. He does everything according to his will and purpose. Fast forward then to David who has the covenant. A son of David, the son of David, will always be on the throne. And David goes to this place and says, this will be the city of David. Now we learn in other parts that actually his men found a way into the city through the water system. I studied an archaeological article. Let's see, this is Wednesday. I studied it Monday afternoon. And the digs that are still going on in the old city of Jerusalem and you can actually see where this water system was. And it was a tricky thing. Man, I'm so claustrophobic, it would have never happened with me. I would have never been the commander of David's army. That makes me feel bad. I'd have parachuted in or something. But anyway, they found a way up through this water system. You can see apparently the very remains that have been uncovered and dug up of that very water system where they were able to breach the city and then take the city, the city of David, the city where the temple would be built, the city where God declared he would provide for himself a lamb through Abraham. Moving on, showing the importance of sin and sacrifice there in the temple, on the temple mount within Jerusalem, the throne of David, which will be an everlasting throne over Jerusalem, such that it is the same place where our Lord Christ was finally 
crucified and from whence he was resurrected and nearby he ascended up on high and he will come again and the Bible says that when he comes his feet will first touch down on the Mount of Olives. Same place. And split that mountain in half when his feet touch that place again. And from that city then, he will rule and reign in perfect righteousness until the end of those thousand years. And then the very thing that is called the capital city of the eternal kingdom is none other than the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. So we can see how these, how the beautiful story of Jerusalem has been woven through time and history so that God all the way through history teaches us his eternal purpose of salvation and redemption according to his will and his way. Well, I'm going to stop there. Maybe you know something about Jerusalem that you didn't know before. I don't know. But right now we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.